<laughs> Hi there, insert Mormon joke here. I'm Nato Kitchen. Welcome to tonight's meeting of the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association. Because tonight we're going to be discussing 2003's Latter Days, I decided to bring on three of my wives to help me in discussing it. First off, let's meet wife number seven, Amelia. Hi, my name is Sister Amelia. Um, I met NATO one night when I was praying at the laundromat for God to send me a good Mormon husband with several wives and about 20 children that I could help take care of, and I was blessed. If you'd like to follow me and all my Mormon homemaker activities, uh, I can be found at The Nefarious Navigator on Instagram. Power be thy sister. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have wife number 23, JC. Uh, hi, I'm JC Gonzo, and I, I'm already married, so I must have slipped something in my drink or something. <laughs> Obviously, I was uh, kidnapped into this. Uh... If you'd like to follow me, <laughs> I'm JC Gonzo on pretty much everything. I need to start screening these in the future. Anyway, last but certainly not least is my 89th wife, Ro. Hello. My name is Sister Rowe, and he was the Prime Minister of England, and I was his secretary. We got together because of some meet-cutes at the office, and it all culminated in a big kiss backstage at an elementary school nativity pageant. (laughs) I'm definitely going to start screening these in the future. Which everybody saw! That's so romantic! (laughs) Uh, you know, there has been so much film and media concerning Mormonism, including the Book of Mormon, the 2006 drama Big Love, and one of my all-time favorite documentaries, 2010's The Sons of Perdition. Um, I think that are that's all the big ones? Well, uh, Orgasmo, for sure, 100%. Um, Jesus and I, Jesus and I love you, NATO. I'm feeling personally attacked right now, so let's just move on to our first game, Bedevil Details. I was always told not to look too much into things. I didn't listen. This is our rapid fire grab bag game that includes details about and from the movie, the actors, and one or two surprises along the way. We have seven questions, and whoever answers the most correctly along the way wins. Yeah, let's just start off with an easy one. This film was directed by established writer C.J. Cox. A year before this came out, he wrote another movie starring a well-known actress whose name starts with R, has three E's in it, and is five letters long. Was it Sweet Home Alabama, starring Reese Witherspoon, or New in Town, starring Renee Zellweger? Yes, Emilio? Uh, that was Sweet Home Alabama by Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> I'll take it. I want to mention... Or not by Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention... Oh, that. yes. That that well-known Reese Witherspoon novel, Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> I want to mention for the record that C.J. Cox wrote both of these films. All right, question two. Latter days came moments before Joseph Gordon-Levitt's I'm gonna actually try to act phase of his career. <laughs> After this film was released, he was in another gay drama. Was it Gregor Rocky's Mysterious Skin or Sherry uh, Horman's Guys and Balls? Yes, JC? That would be Mysterious Skin. You are mysteriously correct. That's like my favorite thing that he's on. <laughs> Gregor Rocky is proof that in the hands of a good director, a bad actor can have a great performance. And in the hands of a bad director, you get Dream Boy. That was your Dream Boy dig of this episode. Please take your shot now. <laughs> And if you want to take a shot, you can tweet us. (laughs) 
please tweet us your shot. We want to see it. <laughs> please only tweet if you're 18 years or older or if you have your parents' permission. So let's now take a shot at question three. Max Sandvoss, our Mormon lead, retired from acting in 2010 to pursue a career as what? Did he become a farmer or a lawyer that became one of the judges that Trump appointed? Yes, Amelia. He is a farmer now. That's correct, and I'm trying really hard right now not to make a bad joke. <laughs> you should just go for it. Um, that, that Live your best the, life. That was the joke. Oh. Give in to your... Come on, Nato, give in to your animal instinct. Stop trying to goat me into things. Anyway, question four. Honestly, a lot of the casts are fairly impressive and have some fun trivia, like how Wes Ramsey's, who played Christian, was in which canceled and pulled off the air NBC show? Was it Caveman or The Playboy Club? Yes, Ro? Is it... The Playboy Club? You got it. Yay, I got it. I got an answer this time. <laughs> Caveman actually went extinct on ABC, and Wes was not part of it. Anyway, moving on to question five. Mary Kay Place has a very familiar face. You might remember her from which of these shows that netted her a primetime Emmy nomination. Was it the 2006 Mormon drama Big Love, or for the RuPaul dramedy, AJ and the Queen? Um, again, that was 2006 Mormon drama Big Love or the RuPaul dramedy AJ and the Queen. Anyone? Yes, Ro. AJ and the Queen? More like AJ and the incorrect. You could say there just wasn't big enough love for AJ and the Queen because it is now gone forever. Thank God. Oh, come on. Not even a pity laugh? <laughs> I pity laughed. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be one of those episodes. Moving on to question six. Unlike most films, this one actually has at least one spinoff or continuation. Which of these came after its initial release? Was it a novelization or a 2013 straight-to-DVD sequel with none of the original cast and crew and was basically just a softcore porn? Yes, JC? A novelization. That's correct. And that also means that Amelia and JC are currently tied. This final question will determine who wins and who loses. Question 7. Despite being the top-grossing film for TLA releasing, according to records from January of 2011, it failed to make back its budget of $850,000, only raising $834,685. And now it's time for you to tell me, what happened? Did a theater chain drop them due to conservatives threatening boycott, or did its original distributor go bankrupt and was expecting the movie to make back its entire budget in the first weeks of release? Yes, Amelia. Was it the conservatives? It's always the conservatives. You win! <laughs> Darn those conservatives. <laughs> How did I know that? I probably should mention that the claim there was a threat of boycott comes from the distributor TLA, who said they received that information from an inside source. On the other hand, Madstone, the theater change that dropped them, said they did so because the film had, quote, no merit, which is really hard... <laughs> to claim since it had racked up about six audience awards from various film festivals before it got dropped. No matter whose side you believe, there is one thing we know for certain, which is tonight's winner is Amelia! Yay! What do I win? Tonight's first winner gets to summarize the entire film. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Latter Days is the moving story 
of a Mormon missionary that goes to live in LA. In true late 90s, early 2000s style, the love interest, Christian, makes a bet initially to try and, you know, sleep with the protagonist and um, instead ends up falling in love with him. There's a whole confessional at the airport uh, and then they end up living happily ever after. Yeah, so, yeah, that that's the story. There wasn't any torture or anything involved. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, differ. how there are some there are some steamy, steamy. Sex There's a lot of steamy sex scenes. A lot. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of steamy sex scenes, nothing gets me hotter than a preemptive disclaimer. <laughs> Please note that the Mormon Church has changed quite a few policies regarding the LGBT community, even partnering with them in 2005 to pass a non-discrimination law in Utah, of all places. Some policies this movie talks about, including conversion therapy, are no longer condoned by the church. Please note that the policies we may or may not be covering were in line with the church's policies in 2003, but if you want to see the church's current policies regarding LGBT persons, please check their official website. This is is how much you can tell NATO really wants to talk about the sex scenes. (laughs) (laughs) And hey, if you would like to be a queer member of the Mormon Church, you may do so as long as you practice abstinence. That's right, (laughs) abstinence. Now for teens and queens. I... That needs to be the slogan of a an abstinence only sex education program somewhere. Actually, can we put that on a can we put that on a t shirt and sell it? Yes. <laughs> I'm not designing it. Someone else do it. <laughs> I'm on it. So I've been talking for a while. Uh, I think that it's time that I shut up and just hand it over to y'all to see what you thought of the film. I thought it was a like a gay fairy tale, basically, and it's very enjoyable on that level. But it's definitely something I don't think would fly today. I mean, I didn't even know that about the Mormon Church um, accepting queer people. That was kind of news to me, and I wonder, like, I, did this movie come up in conversations? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but it's definitely just like pure cotton candy fairy tale kind of uh, fantasy. Which is cute and everything, but um, I will say that I ap- I appreciate this movie a lot. This was another one of those movies that I found right after I was starting to come out, when I was just in that period of trying to devour as much LGBTQ plus and queer media that I could find. Um, and this one hit pretty close to home for me because at the time I was living in a small town, um, very rural, with a large Mormon population, and a lot of the kids that um, were in my friend group who were Mormon ended up being closeted um, and weren't able to come to terms with that until much later in their life. Um, And... Um, every time I see one of my Mormon friends coming out and living their truth, I'm just so happy to see it. <laughs> um, Ro, did you feel like it was a sort of accurate portrayal? Um, I mean, especially his acting 
with his kind of um, timidness and, and hesitance, like kind of dipping his toe in the pond and then, uh, you know, retracting and grappling. Did you feel like from what you've experienced and witnessed, did you feel like that was um, authentic or I'm just curious? Um, I do want to preface this by saying I am not Mormon. I can only speak to this as a queer person, but there there was definitely a vibe of like hate the sin, love the sinner. Like I say, I don't want to speak for I don't want to speak for my friends because their experience is their own. But yeah, you know, and I was thinking. I mean, obviously not just Mormonism, but um, many religions, but the movie did actually remind me. um, I don't personally know um, or that I'm aware of of any former Mormons or or current Mormons who are queer, but I have had friends who were deeply religious or came from a deeply religious background who really grappled with coming out and their identity um, and their gender identity. And that, um, when I saw, you know, this character in the film kind of going through that, there were certain moments and certain little behaviors that I was like, gosh, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I feel like, um, in a way this is kind of like an alternate version of, but I'm a cheerleader. Right. Like it has a whole yeah. like nature versus sin argument, but it uses it completely different. And it also, it also has like a really solid, very concise take on on what conversion therapy actually is like and what practices actually get practiced yeah um in a way i remember uh reading that uh, cj cox actually did like a, a fair amount of research into like what methods were used in conversion therapy and what life was like for these excommunicated gay mormons and stuff like that which i really appreciate and i think really came out as well but I'm a cheerleader is very stylized and it's set in a comedic tone, whereas um, scenes dealing with conversion therapy in this movie tend to be very serious um, and tend to be very true to life. I really like that they showed the scene of him um, being submerged in the ice bath um, because I feel like. I don't know. For me, like that just seemed like so uncomfortable and inhumane. I think that it was very good that they, that C.J. Cox included that in the script. Um, to do against your will, some people do that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I really, yeah. I really, I really want to say that I appreciate that this story isn't just, uh, you know, kind of like a fuck religion kind of story where one character is like, "Oh, your religion is stupid" and stuff, and like basically the other person just like comes to realize that they're right over it like uh we see christian going through an entire arc where he becomes more humble and he just you know becomes less self-obsessed and that's really nice and on the other side of things you have a character who is part of this you know sort of religious structure where individuality is kind of like shoved down yeah with all he's put in a place with all the other people and he has to basically become his own individual self and accept himself uh, along the way and that was those are arcs that i didn't expect when i first watched this that i really appreciate yeah i think i really that was one thing that actually stood out to me watching this because like i like in some ways in my head this kind of like 
And I think, I guess, like, the parallels are kind of obvious now that I'm saying it out loud. But in my head, like, I was thinking, like, wow, this is kind of like if Dorian Blues was better. Um, you're, <laughs> like, you're breaking up. Uh. Well, no, no, no. Like, not that Dorian Blues was a bad film. But I remember when we were talking about Dorian Blues, we talked about how, like, the main characters, like, didn't really, like, develop or grow too much throughout the film. Whereas I think in this one, it it really like you, you see them change as people which i thought was really cool oh um, yeah christian is a character definitely yeah. has an arc from start to finish you can see him at the end of the movie visibly changed yeah. as a person and we love can to I see ju- it <laughs> can i just say while we're on this subject real fast mary k place just like the freaking sh- she was going for that Oscar. She busted like, out some chops <laughs> for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, like, she only had, like, five five scenes, five five to ten shots in this entire thing. And, like, her arc felt more solidified than anything, than any other person's arc. She was, she was really selling, like, angry Mormon mother realness. Yeah. And then, like, at the end where she, like, just runs out and she's like, no way. It's like, oh, no, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, what um, happened? What happened? You know, you know, they're going to that, that they're going to come to terms with each other later in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be one of those things that they look back on f- fondly. I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> at the same time, like, is uh, uh Going off of Mary Kay Place, right? The fact that this film has like some really good actors, both comedically and dramatically, it makes other actors in more prominent roles seem kind of not as good by comparison. Like Mary Kay Place steals the show from uh, I don't even remember the actress's name who was the uh, restaurant owner and stuff. Um, I'm a horrible host. I don't care. Um, but it's just like, I felt like by comparison, like the, the main two guys were kind of, you know, bland compared to the other personalities that we had in this film. This is one of those weird movies where like, I was kind of more interested in all of the side characters than (laughs) (laughs) the lead had compelling arcs and that's great and everything. But like, yeah, his mom, I mean, and I, I love, I love, um, Mary Kay Place and Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. But like that goes way back. But yeah, like there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, of course, his kind of snarkiness, it it really reminds me of some of the other work that he did in the 2000s. And it's sort of hard. You know, I wondered if I'd seen that and he hadn't been what he has become, if he would stand out as much to me. But he obviously stood out because he just kind of played that, uh, prickish asshole really well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he kind of sh- sounded like Ben Shapiro too. Yeah. <laughs> when he was like getting, when he was, you know, held up against the wall or whatever, when Christian was looking for Aaron, he kind <laughs> of like, I was like, Oh wow. I bet this is what Ben Shapiro sounds like when he was getting beat up in high school. <laughs> <laughs> also how dare julie steal songs from other people's lives who does she think she is cheryl crow that's like a real that's just like such a weirdly common thing i like actually just heard of that happening to someone um 
but not a song, but like the story for a play, which is like, it's just like, yeah. I think that's like way more common than, than we think. I mean, it's just pretty messed up. Using somebody else's <laughs> life as a base for a piece of media? What do you think this is? Dorian Blues? <laughs> it's going to be one of those episodes. Beautiful. <sighs> Sorry, um, I feel like NATO's dying a little bit inside with this talking <laughs> <laughs> You leave what? Michael McMillian Cole and my own personal sexy <laughs> Jesus out of this, okay? <laughs> Surprise, this is really Doria Blue's episode two. Oh no. <laughs> Just gonna go sit in my corner. Um I think one other topic that this movie has a lot to say about though, uh to bring it back to a little bit more seriousness, is um the aftermath of the AIDS crisis. You do see a lot of people in this movie who yeah. have or have been affected by um AIDS in their mm-hmm. life. Um, and I think this movie ha- shows it in a really respectful way. It doesn't I agree. fetishize um, queer death. You know what I mean? I was um, I was very... I, I really liked the plot point of him kind of befriending that guy, the the producer or the guy that we worked in the music industry who was and on we the, are we are referring to um christian our non-mormon lead yeah um. yeah <laughs> sorry I, I was a fan of that plot point where christian befriends um god i can't remember his name but the the guy that he's delivering name. food to mr uh, keith griffin yeah. yeah mr keith griffin there we go um i i like that plot point in the sense that it felt like something that would genuinely have been a big part of Christian's character shift and character arc. I I do wish, and I mean, there's not enough time and I'm sure budget too had a lot to do with it, but like um, where he's, it felt like he was almost that this character was kind of just reduced to their illness or maybe oversim- oversimplified where like their role is their illness. And that is the kind of shocking reality that hits Christian and, and really like affects him, which I think is valid, except that it almost feels a little exploitative of um, yeah. the illness and suffering through that um, or, or during any kind of illness in general, because people are, um more than their illnesses of course and you know so i do wish that i I think they were i think it's important and very good that they included that and that they did so um in a positive way but um a little bit of backstory or character development or their purpose in the film kind of going beyond that one identifier i think would have would have done it some some good i think that um and i kind of just connected this while you know you were just talking um but like uh one of the things that we really haven't talked about is the different types of like mission trips so like the mormons are doing sort of like community outreach they're going person to person telling them about jesus but the other type of mission trips that like i've been on and like my grandma went on my grandma literally went to american samoa and helped build a school kind of thing it wasn't like a christian school it was just like a literal school to try and help people 
Um, what Christian is doing is more akin to that because he is going out to the community and he's getting to know people and he's helping them compared to the Mormons who are going and literally just lecturing people about Jesus, giving them facts and, you know, not really connecting with them, more just going through the motions, whereas Christian's actually doing it and changing as a person. I think that's a, that's a wonderful point. And also... They do give uh, Keith um, kind of an in with the music industry uh, to settle up another plot point at the end. But, you know, um, I see what you're saying about kind of um, being reduced to just uh, a gay man with AIDS. But I think that also serves a bit of a purpose Especially when you consider that a lot of queer youth today don't know anything about their history. Yeah. Um, it's important that um, that queer youth today see what it looks like to die of AIDS and know what that means and what effect that that had on us as a community. Because it is so deeply rooted into our history. Um I think any any representation that shows the reality of that is important, and I would argue that there is a place for it, even if it is a bit reductive. That's yeah, and I guess like to the movie's credit, which you know I I did say like a kind of I feel like it reduces that character to to a device. I mean that all of the side characters to some degree are kind of reduced to devices that all interconnect and kind of like pieces of a puzzle that just very perfectly and very, very coincidentally all lead to the um, happily ever after type of ending. And which is fine. And that's just the type of movie that this is. And that's why I, I kind of call it a fairy tale where, you know, it's it's nice to see a piece of gay media with a happy ending, you know? <laughs> um, and also, for our audience, please keep in mind that we do have plans in the future to discuss much more nuanced takes on HIV and the AIDS crisis, and this movie is absolutely not meant to be that first and foremost. Yeah, this yeah. isn't, you know, Derek Jarman's Blue or anything. There's something that I was thinking about when watching it, um, and maybe that's me also looking at it maybe through today's lens where, like, this movie, which is progressive in many ways at the time, um, doesn't necessarily fit into today's block in that way, but shouldn't necessarily yeah. fall to that standard either because... It took those steps to get where we are now. There is um, one thing that I consider a tick against this movie, which is a man and a woman living alone with one job in Los Angeles. Please. (laughs) (laughs) This is not realistic. It is not realistic. (laughs) He sublets. (laughs) So... I think it's about time that we moved on to our second game of the night, More Man. You can laugh now. Ah! <laughs> it's one of those episodes. 
So, in a movie with a crap ton of characters like this one, and so much testosterone, it's only fair to speculate, where are they now? Luckily for us, my wives are private investigators who found out what happened to some of the more minor characters that we may have forgotten about. And we're going to start off with Ro. Alright, today in my more man segment, I want to consider a character who is almost cut out of the movie altogether. And that is Miss Linda Pine as Susan Davis, our elder Aaron Davis's sister. And in a deleted scene, according to Miss Wikipedia, she tells Aaron that his homosexuality has changed nothing between them. And she is also the one who discovers Aaron's suicide attempt and uh, works to save him from not dying. And I think that sort of love and acceptance within a family, I feel like we should have seen more of because they painted Elder Aaron's situation as like bleak and dark and to even see just like a ray of sunshine, I feel like would have made a lot of difference. I mean, I understand why they cut the scene, but just personally, I I wish that People, like, especially young Mormon people watching this movie at the time could have seen that, you know, there will still be people in your life that accept you, and they're not all gay people from Los Angeles. You know, uh, you can find that acceptance closer to home. You just have to know where to look. Fascinating. So it sounds like we have a bit of a missing persons. Speaking of persons, what do you have for me, Sister Amelia? Um, well, I, I think... Will not meet much disagreement here, but I would give the mom an epilogue. Um, you know, I think she did a great job, and I think I would have liked to see some closure between her and Aaron. Aaron, why did I say it that way? Aaron. <laughs> I would have liked to see some closure between her and Aaron. You know, her maybe coming to terms with him, especially since earlier in the movie when they're in the laundromat, he is talking about how close he is to his family and how close he is to his mom in particular. Um, oh my gosh! Oh, you know. oh my gosh! I mean, I mean, they should do like they should do like like a reversal scene of the airport where like he he's waiting on his mom and he's just like really nervous, <laughs> you know, and she just <laughs> that'd be beautiful. Um, that'd be perfect. Not to make another Love Actually joke, but could you imagine um, Rowan Atkinson as the angel letting Christian into the airport, saying <laughs> he's waiting for you, and him jumping over the turnstile and running through. <laughs> Running through the terminal to find him before he gets on the plane. <laughs> Speaking of not getting on planes, let's go to my final wife, Sister JC. You know, I'm I'm a Joseph Gordon-Levitt fanboy, so I want to see what happened to Elder Paul Ryder. Um, you know, oh, yeah. reason why, <laughs> like, what possessed him to hand over that bit of information because he's so kind of vehemently against the whole concept what in his past um kind of opened up that empathy in that moment besides being like pushed up against a wall and threatened um <laughs> hmm. <laughs> i wonder <laughs> um, what what was that and where does it take him because to me that opens the store that he too um much like i would imagine um the mother 
would have a sort of epiphany of some kind of maybe not, maybe tolerance, I would say. You know, perhaps he has a gay son. He has a gay son later in life, and it's just like, oh shit, you know, and all of his. uh, (laughs) I feel like that scene gets a lot more chemistry underneath it when you consider the fact that Joseph Gordon Levitt was originally tapped to play the role of Aaron instead of the role of Ryder. So they had to work in a little bit of that homoeroticness you know for 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 gordon's contract yeah yeah for for gordon's contract it's gotta have at least a little bit of gay in it <laughs> a little bit at least a little at bit. least enough to get like critical acclaim he's like all right i'll play I, writer but you gotta give me a little bit I feel of like a little bit of spicy <laughs> i feel like what convinced him to give over that information in the end was the feeling of Christian's strong arms against his chest. Don't you kink shame Mormons. <laughs> Not on my podcast. I mean. <laughs> right, moving on. It's time for our final showdown in a game that we're calling Gay Set Match. Two of my wives are going to go head to head and pitch their best answers for a specific category, with my third wife choosing which one is best. So let's get right into this with our first category. So, wives, tell me, which character in this movie was the most misutilized? First round is Sister Amelia versus Sister JC. We'll start with Amelia. Um, so, I think, for me, the most misused character uh, that I'm going to go with for the moment is probably Rock McElhenney, because I wanted to see more of what was going on with him, you know, with Mac, pre-Sunny Days. Is this the origin? Is this how we got the Mac we know and love? The gang leaves the Mormon church. <laughs> the gang leaves the Mormon church, so. yes. All right. And JC, what is your pick? I'm going to go with Leela, the restaurant owner. Um, her whole thing just felt like an affect, and I, I want to know more. Yeah, that's respectable. So our two choices are the secret origins of Is Always Sunny or the plot convenience boss. So, Sister Roe, what do you think? Mm. Well, if you asked me before, I would have been inclined to go for uh, Leela, the restaurant owner. But uh, I was just reminded by somebody that Rob McElhenney is uh, one of our beautiful beautiful stars if it's always sunny in philadelphia and i gotta go for the meme so (laughs) (laughs) it looks like the gang got amelia the first point (laughs) yeah winning all right we're on to round two for this category it's jc versus Row. jc would you like to keep your answer or change it for a different one um i guess i'll keep with the the restaurant owner all right, Ro, what do you have to go against the plot device only restaurant owner? Oh, goodness. Uh, misused character. I'm going to have to go for Miss Tracy. Um, she moved to L.A. She hates it there. She wants to become an actress. She did not become an actress. And at the end of the movie, she still hates L.A. <laughs> so we have the plot device boss or always a waitress never an actress i too was originally (laughs) gonna go for leela but (laughs) tracy man she hates la still at the end of the movie (laughs) she just wants to be an actress (laughs) is it worth it for her to be there i want to know more i know i feel like she doesn't hate it as much as she hates new york (laughs) so (laughs) As someone who's been to New York a grand total of two times, I hate it too. 
That's true. I feel like nobody who's ever spent time living in New York actually likes New York. I feel like they just say that. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, the point goes to Roe, meaning that Roe and Amelia are currently tied. Let's go to the third round of this first category. It's Roe versus Amelia. Would either of you like to change your answers, or do you want to stick with what you got? I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with Mac. I, I, Elder Harmon. Sorry. I'm, I'm comfortable with my decision. All right. That means it comes down to the secret origins of It's Always Sunny versus Always a Waitress, Never an Actress. Sister JC, what is your pick? <laughs> Gosh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say the waitress who hates both New York and LA. <laughs> Bless. <laughs> that means the winner of the first category is Roe. And that means we move on to our second category of the night. There's a lot of pointless subplots in this movie. So tell me, what is the most pointless subplot in this movie? We're going to go in reverse order, so it's going to be Roe versus Amelia, with Roe going first. Um, I think off of my high from winning uh, first round... I'm going to stick with Miss Tracy and her subplot of moving to L.A. to become an actress and not becoming an actress. <laughs> we have the waitress who didn't accomplish anything. Amelia, what do you have for us? Um, I honestly, I don't know if this necessarily counts as a pointless subplot. I think if it had been expanded on, it would have not been a pointless subplot. But I'm going to go with the uh, restaurant owners with Leela's husband dying or lifelong partner Ah. because i feel like we just never like learned what what happened or anything like that it was just kind of there so that she could meet this mormon guy and he would be at the restaurant at the end of the movie way to go for this serious choice (laughs) you say serious but uh so jc your choices this time are between the waitress who didn't do anything or the vague dead husband you know while uh, moving to la not becoming an actress and hating it and staying anyway is pretty pointless I am going to have to go with Leela's mysterious dead partner because when I first, when they first, she was getting those mysterious calls and had to go to the hospital. I thought something, something was happening with her. Like she had something going on and then it was suddenly like, Oh, you know, my partner is dead. And I, I didn't even, I was like, what was it? Like, were, was she married? Were they lovers? Like, what? And that is just sort of like, I'll have a good cry about it in the parking lot, and that's the end of that. And <laughs> when I when I first saw the scene where uh, Christian walks in, and he's like, uh, "Was it Bill? Bill's not. Yeah, Bill's a doctor or whatever." Um, I forget the exact line of it, but it's just like uh, I instinctively yelled out. I've got the cancer. (laughs) That's what I thought was going to (laughs) happen. All right. Next up, we have Sister JC versus Sister Roe. So what do you have for us, Sister JC? Well, uh, that actually was going to be my most pointless subplot. (laughs) So (laughs) really quickly. Sorry. uh, I think the most pointless. okay, Okay, hold up, hold up. The most pointless subplot, I guess. I don't know if this is a subplot. Or, or if it's just like a facet of a plot, was that the roommate? What was her name? Uh, a Julie, uh, the the Tracy Grace. I don't Julie, really, Julie, yeah. Julie. Yeah, 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 yeah. She um, 
sneaking around on his whatever device, like finding his diary entry and making a song that then, that has a very clear point, but why did it have to be this thing that like rips apart the friendship that never really gets, you never see get resolved? Like, couldn't they just have like an open talk about it and her be like, yeah, I want to write a song about that. Or that maybe is just isn't saucy enough. So that to me kind of felt a little pointless, especially since you don't really see them uh, get over it. All right, so we got Cheryl crowing it. Ro, are you going to stick with the waitress who didn't do anything? I I feel like I have to at this point. <laughs> I'm committed. I'm committed. <laughs> okay. Um, Amelia, I guess it is your choice. Cheryl crowing it or the waitress who didn't do anything? <laughs> um... I think I think I'm gonna have to go with destroying the friendship for fame because that's never cool. But also, yeah, that was kind of like a weird. I don't know. They could she could have just written the song in the movie and like asked him for permission, and then that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we're down to the final round of this category. So tell me, Sister Amelia, Sister JC, you're going head to head. Are you going to stick with your choices like you have to stick with your men? Sure am. Yeah. All right, Sister Roe, it's up to you. Is it Cheryl Crow or Vague Dead Husband that has your heart? Um, goodness. I think... I think, um... I think I'm gonna have to go with Leela and her, um... Just so happened to have it. She just so happened to have a dead husband for the plot. (laughs) <laughs> and that I means Sister Amelia is my best wife. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Clap. Clap. I'm the best wife! I think that's three weeks in a row that I've won best wife. <laughs> uh, last week doesn't count. <laughs> Sorry, two weeks in a row that I've won best and wife. And I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> all right. So tell me, my best wife, does this movie belong in the heaven of queer cinema or in the hell of straight movies? I, 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 I'm I, going to go with heaven on this one. Uh, I agree that it's like a nice gay fairy tale. It's, you know, happy. It's a nice uplifting movie for the most part, except for some parts of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it has... A, it, it has a happy ending. I don't know. I liked it. I would recommend it for sure. <laughs> All right. Sister Ro, is this heavenly like a pecan pie or devilishly disgusting like all the other pies? Mm, I'm going to I'm going to have to go with Amelia on this one. I think if you're if you're not into kitschy feel good stuff, um then you might want to steer clear of this, but I think this movie tackles some serious issues in an approachable way. And if you want to know more about what conversion therapy is actually like, there are some really good scenes that address that. So we'll go ahead and toot this movie. Yeah. All right, Sister JC, do you think that this movie can absolve you of all your sins or anchor you to the depths of hell? <laughs> uh, oh wow! Um, well, both um, fun. I, I think that yes, this this movie definitely um, should be remembered and cherished positively in the uh, history of gay cinema, um, and for all the positive reasons that 
we have discussed here. You know, it's it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we think. But if you've seen this movie or end up going to watch it, we'd love to hear your thoughts and your experience with it. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Gayekapod, that's G-A-Y-E-C-A-P-O-D. While you're there, why not suggest a movie for us to watch in the future? We're always looking for more suggestions. We can't wait to experience more movies with you. Also, uh, not to kill your, your like epilogue there, but also does this movie, like, is it going to kind of go down in history as like a kind of like historical document on um, this kind of darker part of the Mormon religion and take since now that changed. What was it? 2015. It was kind of recently. I feel like if this movie does, then book of Mormon should also. I feel like this is more of like uh, looking back at how far we've come relatively, like no religion's really perfect with their uh, views on the LGBTQIA plus like community or anything. But like, I don't know. Like, I I don't think that, um, right. I I think it's like a time capsule, you know? And like anything from the past, it can be updated and modernized and rebooted, which is exactly what we're going to do now. All three of my wives have come up with ideas how to modernize and improve this movie. So let's start out with Sister JC. Okay. <laughs> to consider how much has changed since 2003, um, particularly with the Mormon religion and queerness, I think that, you know, the, the kind of elephant in the room would need to be addressed, which would need to be the, the huge rise of Mormon porn what was it? I think it was a vice special a few years ago with um, slut ever uh, where she kind of investigates the Mormon sort of fight against porn. And of course there's how um, specific with the, the rituals and, and things it's becoming because you're getting people who are leaving the religion and joining the porn industry. So, you know, I feel like that would need to be incorporated in a modern day plot to give it a kind of sharper edge. <laughs> I would, I for one would totally watch a Boogie Mormon movie. Let's Boogie Nights plus Mormon. So <laughs> let's move on to my second wife, Sister Roe. I think for once I have the least spicy take on this. I want to see this movie strictly brought into the future as is. What does it look like to live with one roommate in L.A.? What does it look like to be a gay woman in a world where the church no longer condones conversion therapy or doesn't actively seek to excommunicate their LGBT plus members? Oh, oh, they'll, they'll still excommunicate them. Well, you know, actively. Just- I mean, if they have sex, they would. Or just like, or just like, we see you go away. <laughs> I think if they have sex without being married and they can't get married in the church. Right, right. It's, it's like, well, yeah. The, I think they just. <laughs> the dumbest fucking loophole is like, oh, well, you can't have sex without marriage, but we also, we don't well, believe you I should be married. The gist of what I'm but saying not is. They're gay, but because they have premarital yeah, sex. Yeah, I think the gist of what clear. I'm saying is in a world where policies and ideas are changing, what does it mean to be gay and Mormon? Um, how do we navigate that now where the Mormon church is outwardly trying to convey a more LGBT plus friendly image? What does that look like? I wonder. It looks like abstinence now for teens and queens. T-shirt available now at the Gay Capod uh, store or whatever we're going to do. I don't care. Finally, we have my best wife. <laughs> 
sister, Amelia. Uh, yeah, I would actually just remake this as a buddy cop film, but in the style of Pitch Perfect. <laughs> I wanted to see. I, I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> I want all of these to exist. <laughs> well, I'm Nato Kitchen. The only thing that really gets me on my knees is when I've had too much vodka, and that's in the front of a toilet. Later. Goodbye. <laughs>